Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We're on a series, Garden City, and uh, we've looked over the last few weeks, we've looked at how we started in a garden, and then at the end, if you read the last, the last chapter of Revelation, you find up we end up in a city that's like a garden. And so there's this, God started us in a garden, and the whole thing is going to end in a city that's like a garden. And uh, the whole purpose of that, it, we, we've, we found in the beginning of Genesis, the first commission was for, for Adam and Eve to go and subdue and take dominion and basically manage the planet to become a better place. And the end, we see the place is beautiful. It's not a dirty city. You've seen Blade Runner. It's not going to look like that. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to be like a garden. And, uh, you know, the first thing that we see about God is that he's a creator. This is the very first thing we see uh, it, when, we, when we're reading the book of Genesis. The first thing we see about God, he's a creator and he's a worker. So for those of you that believe that, you know, if you just live a life of faith, you won't have to work anymore. Sorry. You just can't, you can't actually find that in the Bible. It's that we, we're created to work. We're created, we have been created in his, his image. And so we see that God's a creator, God's a worker, but we also see that he's a collaborator. So we see that God in his greatness didn't choose to keep that greatness for himself, but he chose to create man in his image. And, he, and the first thing he did to man was say, you keep going. I've started this process, now you keep this process going. And that, that, that our first assignment is that we are co-creators. We're co-creators with God. We've been, we've been commissioned to carry on the work that God started. And we, we're not, we were not created as slaves, but we were created as co-laborers with God to continue his work. And our first assignment is to actively partner with God in taking this world to, to a beautiful place and to, to stewardship or to be stewards over this planet and to be stewards over all creation. Some people, some people ask, should you be an environmentalist if you're a Christian? And it's like, I don't know how you could not be an environmentalist and be a Christian. The question is, is what is environmentalism, what's, what's the most effective form of environmentalism? And so, so we see, and obviously, I don't want to even talk about this today because that's a whole, <clears throat> that's just a conversation better suited for Facebook, isn't it? <laughs> the land of unending opinion. But there is a part of us that, you know, when you drive through the redwood forests in California, you know, when you're allowed to do that again, uh, that... That when you walk, go through those, when you go through those trees that are a thousand to two thousand years old, and they stand four and five hundred feet in the air, and you know the base of the tree is like the size of this stage, there's a, an appreciation for the beauty of creation, but there's also an appreciation for someone who thought that beauty was worth preserving. Because if we cut those trees down, it's 2,000 years before they're back again. 
And so there is, we are called to be stewards, but we're also, we're called to be creators, but we're also called to be stewards of the earth. Okay, that's enough of that. Mike, you're getting too political for a Sunday morning. But nature's beautiful. I want it to be beautiful for a long time. And so we, we by our, or, or we, and we looked at this, uh, that in the word, the word for, for work and the word for worship in the, in the Hebrew is actually the same root word in the Hebrew, that God doesn't differentiate between work and worship. And so our work, is an act, can, our work can be an act of worship if we choose to make it into an act of worship. If we choose to work in such a way that we're, we're reflecting uh, a working, creative God. And another thing we discovered is we, or that we discover is that we were called to create in community. We were called to create in community. We were called to work together. And we see, we see you know, if you were to walk into a room and there, it was, there was like body parts all over the room, I know, you'd go, there's a problem here. Yet, oftentimes, that's how we approach life. It's just, I'll do my own thing, you do your own thing, we'll just all do our own thing. You know, the, the, the big saying now, you do you, which is basically a polite way of saying F you. It's just, it's just a way of saying, I don't really care what you're doing, and you shouldn't care about what I'm doing. But the, the actual truth of the matter is, is everything that we enjoy together, we enjoy because of collaboration. We enjoy because people join together to make something happen that's beautiful, whether you're enjoying a cup of coffee, or even you're, you're in you're in church, or you're watching church online, you, there's a whole team of people that had to come together to make that happen. If we all just did us, life would be disappointing. If we all did, when we all just do our own thing, what we do is actually much less significant than when we, when we collaborate together in community. And, you know, the, the greatest satisfaction that we'll experience happens when we create together when we come together and do things together and how much we even see like right now in this season, how much anxiety and stress has been created because we can't do things together. You know, we, we not, we don't just work together. We also recreate or recreate together. And a lot of the stress we're experiencing is because we're actually being, we're actually being denied a part of what, what makes up, us as humans and people. And this, this is not a political commentary on whether it should be or shouldn't be, but the reality is it isn't right now, and we suffer for it because of it. And so if nothing else, this, this should teach us that when, when things open up, we need to remember what really is important and, and that, that we, we take the time to build those relationships. Simply put, we are not created to live isolated in our journey. We were not created to live isolated and on our own. We were created, we were created to work. We were created to work together. And uh, even, before, even before Adam had Eve, Adam was put to work. 
Creativity and accomplishment is hardwired into our DNA. We've been created to create. And it's, it's a part of us. And when we, the, the problem is, but because of the fall, work can also become a curse. So work, work is not a curse, but work can be a curse. Some of you know what that's like. Monday morning. Work's not a curse, but sometimes on Monday morning, it feels like a curse as you're driving to work. And because of the fall, work, work can take on a negative aspect in our lives. And, and part of that, I think, is when we start looking to work for our significance, or we start looking to success, or we start looking to accumulation, what, when all we do is consume, work can actually become a curse. We're setting ourselves up for emptiness. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment because there's no amount you can consume that will satisfy you. Isn't this true? You know, you have cheat day when you're eating. I have cheat day when I'm eating. It's Fridays usually. Sometimes it extends to Monday. <laughs> Sometimes it just goes a little longer than I intended. But you know, no matter what you eat, tomorrow you'll still not be satisfied. There's always a part. And when it comes to consuming in life, no matter what you get, tomorrow it won't be enough. There, tomorrow, there's, there's a part, and that's the curse of work. That's the curse of there is actually not something you can get that will fill your inmost needs and your inmost desires. And, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to work, the, there's this word called shalom. And we, we've referred to this a few times. And the, this word shalom, it, it basically means peace in our, in our language today. But in the Hebrew language, it meant so much more. It was a, it was a word just, uh, it was denoting, let everything be the way that God intended for it to be in your life. It was just, it's a great word, a great rich word. And what we're working for is actually we, sh we should be working towards shalom. We should be working to make things the way that God intended for them to be. That we're using our life, our influence, our energy, our, our, our relationships, our labor to help set things the way that they should be. The way God intended for them to be. And, and so that's, that, as we work towards shalom, that's one of the things that we, helps us, helps helps to protect us from allowing work to take a place it's not actually supposed to take in our hearts and in our lives. And so Jesus, when he came, when he came to the earth, he, he, when he walked the earth, he, he addressed this. He addressed this in the lives of people. And he addressed this by, by saying to this, one of the first things that he addressed was this life of work that was out of order, or this life of work that had become a burden or a curse. And we find that Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me all you who are, who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. In other words, come to me all of you who are under the curse of work and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon your shoulders. It might appear heavy at first, but it's perfectly fitted to your curves. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. When you are yoked to me, your weary souls will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, this is such a profound portion of scripture that Jesus didn't say, if you come to me, you won't have to work anymore. 
He didn't say, if you come to me, your days of working are over. It's just vacations in the sun from now on. What he, what he did, he didn't say work was bad, but what, he, what his invitation was is you need to learn the right way to work. You need to, you need to get back to that where work is not burdensome and heavy, but it's, but it's fitted. It's shalom. And where there's, he, he, where there's this, where there's this heaviness and this negativity surrounding it that, that we can enjoy a life where work is not a curse, but work is something that is, is leading us to something beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's not just what we do that's beautiful, it's the way we do it. It's not just, it's not just working to make things beautiful, but it's working in such a way that we're working in a beautiful way in our life. And there is, there, you know, Jesus didn't say, I've come to abolish your yoke. He just said, I've, I've come to give you a yoke that will work better for you. And so what do we learn? What do we learn about Jesus and work? What do we learn from, G, from Jesus about how to work or the role of work in our lives? And, you know, there's... I want to just refer to him as almost like the silent years. That there's this 30-year time period in Jesus' life where we don't know what happened in his life. It's basically, the Gospels basically start when he's 30 years old. And so, you know, they give a, you know, Matthew and, and Luke give a, 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 a brief kind of um, account of his birth. And then there's kind of this little snapshot when he's about 12. And then there's nothing till he's 30. And the, we, there's, people have made movies. Some of them are really kooky movies about this time period in Jesus' life where he was, where, where he was growing up. You know, some, some had him playing in the sandbox with John the Baptist and, and John... John realized, he, he said, on reflecting on his life labor, later, he said, you know, when we'd play in the sandbox and Jesus would smite, smite the, the Egyptian villages, one day I realized he wasn't kidding. <clears throat> yeah. That's a dad joke. It's a bad dad joke, isn't it? But, we, you know, pe- people have made movies of him, you know, healing the the neighbor's puppy and and doing these things, but we we actually do know what he did during those years. You know what he did? He worked. He worked. This is what he did in these years: is he worked, because work and worship are the same thing. One of the things that we often overlook, but it's, it's not insignificant, is Jesus was a tradesman. He worked with his hands. He worked as a laborer. He worked probably as a contractor, as a manager, as an administrator. He worked. Work matters. Work matters. What we see from the life of Jesus is that work is the majority of what he did in the timeline of his life. Work matters. And so there's, there's a few things that we, we find in the life of Jesus 
that can help us when it comes to finding significance and finding uh, finding beauty in our work and, and, and allowing work to have that right role in our lives. And the first, the, the first thing we get a glimpse into in the life of Jesus is his priorities. And we find this when he is a boy. We find this, um, the, the family has... The, the family has gone to Jerusalem and they, they lose Jesus. Imagine, is, can you imagine having to like answer, for, you lost Jesus? <laughs> I don't know, we lost God. <laughs> God is lost. <laughs> what do we do? But Jesus, they find him three days later. So if this isn't a freak out moment for every parent on the earth, I do not know what is. Let alone thinking, you know, I lost the Savior. But the, his parents go back looking for, for him, and then they, they find him in the temple. And here's where we get a first, this first glimpse into the life of Jesus, where you know, Mary said to him, you know, where have you been? What have you been doing? And, and Jesus, as a young boy, says, well, where did, basically, where did you think you would find me? Like, where, why, why were you looking for me? Wouldn't you know I would be in my father's house? And so we see this, his priority right from the beginning is that he has a, this priority of being in his father's house. Being about, one, one translation says, being about my father's business. That I had, to, I had to be, we see here that connection to the father and being about what God is doing on the earth was important to him. Connection to the father was imperative. And uh, I would, I would re- when it comes to our connection to God, when it comes to the priority of our connection to God, I would compare it to like core strength. You know, when, when it comes to core strength in your, in your body, if you've ever had the wonderful privilege of pulling like an oblique muscle or a stomach muscle, what you discover is that, or if you've had a cesarean section, then you would know exactly what, I have not had a cesarean section, if you're wondering. But when you lose a core muscle from your body, something as simple as turning becomes hard. Something as, you're laying in bed and you want to get up, just getting out of bed is a major accomplishment when you when when core muscles are are injured, but I would compare I would compare our relationship with God as our core muscles, our core strength. If that's missing, everything else gets much more difficult. Just being on assignment without being in relationship is one of the hardest things you will ever do in your life. Is to just be doing the things without the relationship. Try to be in a friendship where you have no friendship. You just are expected to do all the things that friends do. Or in a marriage where there's no friendship. Relationship is the core strength of our life. And, and throughout, throughout Jesus' life, we find him throughout his ministry, especially the busy years, we find him, we find this common phrase or this common occurrence in the, in the New Testament. We find that, that Jesus, it said that he was in the habit of retreating into places of solitude or retreating to pray. 
And the busier he got, it seems the more important that this retreating to this place of solitude or this, this place of prayer became because that was, that's his core strength. And so we see in the life of Jesus that his priority, the, where the work came from was not from a commitment to work, but it was from relationship with his father, with relationship with God. And, and that in our, in our lives, we have to make sure we have places where we can retreat into quiet places where we can de- develop and cultivate and learn to hear the voice of our father. And learn to learn to to foster that connection because just doing is not what you were created for. You were created for relationship. We were created to work, but our identity does not come from our work. We were created for work, but work won't fulfill the deepmost parts of our of our soul and our spirit. And there's always this danger in this in this life of working and achievement that we can allow the gifts of God to actually replace the presence of God. And we can allow things like the blessing of God to substitute for a relationship with God. And we see in the life of Jesus, he, he continually prioritizes this connection. And, you know, just no matter how great your job is, your job will never be enough. No matter how much you succeed, success will never be enough. We were created for something greater than just achievement. Achievement is a part of what we were created for, but we were created to be much more, uh, much deeper than just achievement. All right, we see his passion. We see the when we look to the life of Jesus, we see as he worked, he also worked towards his passion, and his passion was people. His passion was to rescue people. And one of the things that you'll find continually is there's these encounters with the Pharisees that Jesus would have. And the, the Pharisees, they were a nitpicky group of people. They, were, they, they would pick apart what he would do. He would heal someone on the Sabbath, and then they would accuse him of wrongdoing because he healed someone on the Sabbath. He would just call them out. He'd say, if your donkey was stuck in a ditch, you would rescue your donkey, even though it was the Sabbath. And there's this, we see this, we see this heart in, in Jesus. His passion was to build people. His passion was to, to bring life for people. And there's the, we've all, you've, you've probably, if you've been in the church world for any length of time, and even not in the church world, most have heard of the, the parable, um, the, well, maybe you haven't heard of it because I can't remember that. It's the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> I know, that was, I was really reaching deep into the theological books for that one. And uh, it, what's interesting is how that parable started, why that parable was told. And it, there, was a, there was a teacher, it says there was an expert in religious law that stood up to test Jesus. So you have to understand why this question was being asked. It wasn't being asked, can you please explain to us how to love God and how to love others? This is, this is, this is a religious turkey standing up trying to trap Jesus. So he says, teacher, what should I do to inherit life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? 
And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now you have to understand, that, that can, like, for somebody to sum up the command of God into those two statements is actually a very profound insight into, into the Old Testament and into the law. This, that, that means they, they understood that love is the most important concept of all, all of, the, of what was given in the, in the Old Testament law and in the Torah. But we see th- th- this, this guy's insight was tainted. And if you look in the next verse 29, is, he said this, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he's... He understands, but then he's trying to take it one step further to justify, basically justify not doing it. And he asks the question, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. Man injured in a ditch. A Levite passes by him. A Pharisee passes by him. Leaves him in the ditch. It's a, it's a Jewish man in the ditch. And the religious leaders pass him by, but then a Samaritan who is considered unclean by Israel stops and helps him and rescues him. And then Jesus asks the question, who is the neighbor to the man who is in the ditch? And, of course, we all know the person who helped was the neighbor. But there's this, there's this telling phrase where Jesus said when he was questioned, he said, teacher, what should I do to inherit life? And Jesus said this telling phrase, he said, what does the law of Moses say? And then there's this next statement. How do you read it? How do you read it? And see, the question when it comes to our priority of people, it really comes down to the question of how do you read what God has said? How do you read your Bible and how you interact with others? The Bible's compared to a sword, it's compared to a hammer, it's compared to a fire. Well, both, all of those things can be incredibly protective and incredibly destructive. A sword can protect in that time, that would be the, the equivalent of a rifle. A, a sword can protect your family or it can destroy people. A hammer can build a building, but it can also destroy a building. A fi- the same fire that cooks your food can consume your home. How do you read it? Do you, do, you read, do you read it as something to help people? Or do you read it as something to be people? How do you read it? All right. His priority was people. 55 seconds. Kathy Joe is going to come out the door any moment. And she's going to smile at me, say, you're nowhere near done, Mike, and you said you'd be done early. <laughs> how, do, how do we, I, I want to give us just three simple things that we can do that help us work well. Help us to work in a way that is life-giving and brings life to those around us. The first is show up. This is a great in, in our day and age of distraction, where we sit and we play on our phones, or we sit and we watch, there, there's this huge lack of showing up in life right now. People are present, but they're totally not present. 
You know, show up. Just show up. When you go to work, show up to work. Colossians 3.23 says, Put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you're doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. And we could just take this and apply it to everything, whether that's showing up to dinner with your family or you're showing up to, to recreation or you're showing up wherever you're showing up to work. On Monday morning, wherever you are, be there. And some of, sometimes you just need to turn the distractions off and just show up. So sometimes we miss so much of what's actually happening around us because we're not actually there. Show up. When you're at home, be at home. So often we're at the next place. You know, we get home, we can't wait to be out doing whatever, fill in the blank. Then we're out doing fill in the blank and our brains are already at work. The next day, show up. Be where you are. Be present to the moment you're in. The second thing, and I think this is, this is so important, is learn to rest. Jesus modeled this in his life. Learn to rest. We're going to have a month on Sabbath in July. And you... It's not just a month to say, hey, do whatever you want. This is actually, I would like to give us all the assignment. Let's learn how to rest better. Because a lot of us rest without resting. You know, our rest time isn't actually rest time. Our rest time is just fill with more noise time or be busy time or get chores done time. Learning to rest is an art. Wow. Wow out of time and the last thing is create beauty we can't make the world but we have been given the task of remaking it and we can use our influence to either bring destruction or we can use our influence to bring beauty to build to enhance to bring life you know the first thing we see of Jesus or see of God in of God speaking about creation is he says it's good. And that word good, it's actually a it's actually a visual, it's an aesthetic good. He could have made trees ugly, but he didn't. He made them beautiful. Seeing the leaves starting to come out on the trees now. It's beautiful, isn't it? As you as you see things creation unfold in the spring it's not just oh that's nice it's like no it's beautiful God made it that way there's a part of that that inherent nature he wants us to play a role in that in what we in what we influence help unfold beauty in the world around us unfold beauty in our workplace unfold beauty in our relationships you know it's interesting there's this there's this rule of first reference in the Bible and it's basically, there's a tremendous significance on things the first time they're mentioned in the Bible. And I just discovered this. I did not know this, but it, it was something I discovered uh, in the last few weeks. And the very first instance of someone being filled with the Spirit of God, who do you think that was? You know, you'd think that, well, it must be a priest or, or, or a prophet but the first reference to someone being filled with the Spirit of God, you find it. You find it in Exodus, 
where they're building the temple. And God says to Moses, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. The first person we find filled with the Spirit in the Bible isn't a prophet, it's not a king, it's not a priest, it's a craftsman. It's a laborer. It's somebody creating beauty. It's an artist. And so so often we can think that, well, you know, it's not that hobbies can't be spiritual or recreation can't be or creation, but that's actually where we find the first place where the spirit of God is resting on someone is in creation. And I just want to encourage you when you find yourself, when you find yourself, maybe you find yourself in maybe, maybe what you would call those silent years is be committed to making things beautiful. In those times where maybe you don't feel like you gotta, you have a clear direction or a clear word, for lack of a better term, make things beautiful. Because God rests, his spirit rests on us when we make things beautiful. And it rests on us to make things beautiful. Let's stand up. And this... This week's practice, it's simple. Create and appreciate beauty. Take a moment in your week to, to create something beautiful, but also take a moment to appreciate something beautiful. Maybe it's something beautiful in nature, or maybe it's just something beautiful that somebody else has made. Take that moment and, and uh, just appreciate it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your spirit rests on things that sometimes we consider just average and normal. And Father, I pray that we would learn to see the beauty of, of what you're doing and what you're working and how you're working. And that we would learn to be uh, cooperators and cooperate with your spirit in helping to co-labor to make those things more beautiful. Beautiful in the lives of those around us. Give us an eye to see what the good in what's around us and the, and the role we can play in making things beautiful. And Father, I pray that your, your spirit would rest upon us as we, as we go this week, as we create this week, as we labor this week, that your spirit would rest upon us in whatever areas we're at, whether it seems spiritual or not, Lord, there's no difference with you. It's all spiritual. Thank you, Father. I just want to pray one more prayer. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online right now, and you have, you have never actually said yes to Jesus or to following his ways. And I want, to, I want to just, you know, every week we pray a prayer that says yes to Jesus. And saying yes to Jesus is its not just saying yes to a belief system. It's actually saying yes to a way of living. It's, a, it's, it's learning to follow him in his way. And if you're here today or you're watching right now on your online and you're saying, you know what, I would like to learn. I would like to learn what it means to follow him and to walk with him. Then I would invite you to pray right now as we pray, Jesus, 
I say yes to you. I want to follow you. I want to follow in your ways. Would you teach me how to live beautifully in your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.